0: Well, good morning, church. Um, man, it's it's good to be with you, but I really miss seeing your faces. Uh, from Michelle and Debbie and Robert right in the front to Les and Jim and Annie in the back and everybody in between, I, uh, I miss seeing you guys. Um, I know this is hard for many of you and... It's hard for me, too. But boy, it's, it's just great that we have technology and we're able to be together. Uh, it's also the first Sunday of the month, which means, kids, we're glad to have you here in service with us. But of course, uh, you're here with us every Sunday, at least for the time being. But if you're in fifth grade or younger, I'm talking directly to you just for a minute. Uh, we hope that you're sitting with your brothers, your sisters, your parents, and, and that you're paying attention. But it's hard to pay attention sometimes, isn't it? We all know that it's always important to pay, pay attention. And sometimes it's more important to pay attention than at other times. Now, everyone listening that's paying attention... Here's a question I'd love for you to answer in the chat. What are some things you do to help you pay attention? What are some things you do to help you pay attention? And as you answer that question in the chat, let me show you different people paying attention in different scenarios and in different ways. It's important to pay attention when you cross the street. Always look both ways, right? You got to pay attention to the cars, to everything going on around you. This baseball player is paying attention to the ball. In that moment, the ball is the most important thing for him to pay attention to. Not much else matters right then. I don't think he's worried about the grass stain on his knees or about what he's going to have for dinner. Can you imagine that? Here comes the ball. Ooh, spaghetti sounds good. No, of course not. He's paying attention to the ball and nothing else. And I can't hear you guys, but I imagine that you guys chuckled at that at least a little bit. It's important to pay attention at school. Though right now, paying attention at school probably looks a little bit more like this. Here's a picture of a boy paying attention to a fish. And it looks like the fish is paying attention to the boy as well. This boy is paying attention to his dad. And this boy is paying attention to the adults around him. Here's one of my favorites. This is Gus. Gus is really good At paying attention. Now, this girl is taking a picture. She's paying attention to what she's trying to take the picture of. Notice how the viewfinder helps her pay attention. In fact, viewfinders are really good at helping us pay attention. When we're looking through those eye holes, all we see is what the lenses. Are pointed at. Which brings us back to the question: what are some things you do to help you pay attention? Let me read a couple of your responses here. Let's take a look. All right. Take notes, Uh, keep track of different things, eye contact. Put the phone down. I love that. Focus on listening. Keep your hands busy. Yep, I need that. Uh, sketch or breathe deeply. Turn the TV off. Uh, again, keep hands busy. Eye contact with the preacher. I love it. Taking notes. Look. Lots of different answers here. These are all great. So today, our title is, Pay Attention. And before we dive in, I wanted to talk about that phrase for just a minute. First of all, paying attention takes work. Your various responses show that it takes effort to pay attention. Whether it's turning off the TV, putting the phone down, keeping eye contact, keeping your hands busy, all those different things... Help us pay attention. We need different things or ways or strategies to help us pay attention. It's not something that just happens. Second, paying attention costs something. I think it's interesting that the word pay is a part of the phrase. You have to pay attention in the sense that it costs something to do so. When you're paying attention to something, you're not paying attention something else. So there's cost in that your focus is away from other things. When you're paying attention to what matters in, uh, what you're paying to attention to is what matters in that moment. Let me say that again, because I stumbled a little bit. What you're paying attention to is what matters in that moment. Not that other things don't matter. They just aren't getting the focus at that time. But it should be worth the cost, because hopefully what you're paying attention to is worth it. Now, on the flip side, we've all paid attention to the wrong things at times, and it's cost us. In our passage today, Jesus tries to help some people that have been paying attention to the wrong things and tries to point them in the right direction. He tries to help Pharisees pay attention to the things that matter. Let's go ahead and read our passage and dive in. And oftentimes when I preach, I ask uh, everyone to stand in honor of God's word. And if you'd like to, I'd invite you to go ahead and stand as we read our passage. We're in Luke 16, and we're starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for this opportunity that we have right now to pay attention to it. God, to choose to not pay attention to other things, but to focus in on what you have to say from your word. God, I pray that as we dive in, uh, we'll get to hear from you. We'll get to hear what you are trying to communicate to us. And God, that that will draw us in to a deeper relationship with you. That will understand you more. That will know you more. God, please be with us right now. Give us peace and give us focus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are standing, you can go ahead and grab a seat, or you can stay standing if you want. It's totally fine. This passage is a part of a long discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples and Pharisees who were there. Here's how this discussion breaks down. And I know for some of you it's a little bit hard to see the screen, but I'm going to talk through everything that's on the screen as well. This whole discussion starts in chapter 14. And in the first 24 verses, it's a meal with the Pharisees all about position and having a seat at the table. And then in the rest of chapter 14, uh, they most likely move from the table but continue the discussion where he talks about the cost of discipleship. And then chapter 15 uh, is the lost parables, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, still a part of this big conversation. And then in the first part of chapter 16, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and talks to them about serving money, talks, uh, he shares the shrewd parable that we went over a couple weeks ago, and he talks to them about faithfulness. And then in the rest of chapter 16, which includes our passage today, he turns to the Pharisees again. And, and talks to them about money. But not really. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And then in chapter 17, the first 10 verses, he talks to the disciples again about tempting others, about forgiveness, and about faithfulness. Now, this is all important because it will help us understand this parable in a different way. And yes, it's a parable. We will go back to different parts of this to see how it connects to the greater picture Jesus is trying to get across. Now in this parable, we are to pay attention to three things. If you printed out your handout or you're taking notes online, uh, there are, these are your three blank fill-ins. And so here's the first one. And that's pay attention to your priorities. Pay attention to your priorities. Let's go back to how this part of the conversation started. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is what Jesus said. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And then from there, Jesus starts talking and telling them to pay attention to their priorities. He begins by describing two characters, and he puts them in stark contrast with each other. He does so by pointing out six things that are different about these two people. First is wealth. Verse 19, we are introduced to a rich man. And we find out from different details uh, how rich this guy actually is. And in verse 21, we are introduced to a poor man. Now, yes, we get more details about these two. But this is our foundation. And in light of verses 13 and 14, which tells us that the Pharisees loved money, and Jesus just said, you can't serve both God and money. We know that the Pharisees were probably rooting for or identifying with the rich man. And we know that Jesus is going to go after that problem. The second difference between these two characters is their clothes. The rich man, we're told, was clothed in purple and fine linen. And this was top of the line in those days. Purple was only attainable with a dye from a certain sea snail. So it was extremely rare and thus extremely expensive. In contrast, the poor man's clothes aren't even mentioned. Rather, we're told about a skin condition, which could lead us to think that he's not even wearing much. The third difference between these two is food. The rich man, we're told, feasted sumptuously every day. This is along the same lines of the feast that the father threw for the prodigal son in the last parable Jesus told the Pharisees. And this was happening daily. So it wasn't just one big feast every now and then, but rather a daily huge feast. The poor man, in contrast, desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And it doesn't even say that he got anything, so he might not have. The fourth difference between these two is their lodging. The rich man had a gate, which means he had a big house inside of his gate. The poor man laid outside the gate. He didn't have any lodging at all. The fifth difference between these two is burial. Burial was very important during that time. So the fact that Jesus mentions that the rich man died and was buried is significant. People would actually pay to be in groups that would make sure that each other got a burial. Now, the poor man's burial is not mentioned. Again, this is significant. He may not have been buried at all. Now, all five of these differences are making the rich man out to be highly important. He is the one that matters, or so the Pharisees would think. The poor man doesn't matter. Of course he wasn't given food or attended to. He was insignificant. Now, There's a sixth difference between these two, and that's a name. It is significant that the poor man in the story, the one who isn't supposed to matter, is given a name, while the one who is supposed to matter is not given a name. As one commentator put it, perhaps this is Jesus' way of inviting his money-loving listeners to provide their own. In other words, to put themselves in the story, the fact that the poor man, Lazarus, is named and the rich man is not completely reverses the roles. The rich man thought to be important is not. He isn't even deemed significant enough to be named. The poor man, on the other hand, is important enough that his name is not only given but also mentioned four times. The rich man even knows Lazarus' name, we see in verse 24. Now, not only does Jesus reverse the roles by mentioning Lazarus' name, but he also shows that wrong earthly priorities have eternal consequences. The big twist in the story comes in verses 22 and 23. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, as far as the Pharisees may have expected, that didn't go the way that it should have. But if you look back in scripture a little bit, they probably should have expected this outcome. In Job 21, it says, They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. Again, pointing to a luxurious life, but uh, a heavenly consequence of being in Sheol. And in Luke 6, 24, Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich! For you have received your consolation. In other words, there will be no consolation for them after death. Jesus speaks many other times about the trappings of wealth, about making wealth and earthly comfort a priority, and how that is a wrong pursuit. So let's just pause for a minute. Take stock of your priorities. What's important to you? Where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your efforts? Where are you investing your finances? Would Jesus tell a parable about you, where you were the one living it up and winding up in hell? Jesus takes time to point this out because he wants his listeners to pay attention to what they're prioritizing. He wants them to evaluate their earthly priorities. We need to do the same. And that's a part of what Jesus is trying to say. But that's not the main point of this parable. There's more that Jesus is trying to communicate. Not only is Jesus telling them to pay attention to their priorities, but he's also telling them to pay attention to, To their future. Pay attention to your future. Jesus takes time to show the consequence of misplaced priorities. Look at verses 22 through 26 of our passage. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. and none may cross from there to us. Jesus wants his listeners to see what would happen if they were to continue down the road they're on. And in doing so, he again shows his love for the Pharisees. He shows his desire that they would change. In this conversation that goes on for over three chapters, most of Jesus' discussion is directly with Pharisees or to a larger crowd that included Pharisees. He cares about the Pharisees. We also see this in verse 25. Abraham calls the rich man child. And it's a term of endearment. This is also a nod to the parable of the prodigal son when the father is speaking with the older son. In verse 31 of chapter 15, it says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The father uses the term son, again, a term of endearment. And here in our passage, Abraham uses the term child, a term of endearment. So, yes, Jesus loves the Pharisees and desires that they would change, but Jesus still points out that there are consequences. The seats of the two have changed. The poor man sat at Abraham's side. Remember in chapter 14 that they were fighting for the seats by the head of the table? They were arguing over which one would get to sit close to the head. The seats of honor they were fighting over. And now Lazarus is sitting in the seat of honor and the rich man is far away. Luke 14.11 says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we're seeing that right here. Jesus wants the rich man to see that there are consequences for their misplaced priorities. Jesus doesn't talk about how Lazarus lived. He doesn't focus on right living that leads to eternal comfort here. Rather, he focuses on how the rich man lived and the consequences of those actions. Abraham also points out that you in your lifetime received your good things. There's a focus on the word your, you, your lifetime, your good things. The rich man selected his priorities. He made his decisions and now He is paying the price for those decisions. He wanted to be in charge. He was Lord of his own life. Giving your life over to Jesus means making him Lord of your life instead of yourself. It means that you are letting him decide what to prioritize. I talk with my kids often about doing things God's way instead of your way. The rich man was doing things his own way, not God's way. If you're interested in wanting to know more about living God's way, about making him Lord of your life, about putting him in charge, we would love to talk with you. Go to nbcsj.org contact us and fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you. There's a box on the form that says, I'm interested in a relationship with Jesus. And I'd encourage you to check that box. We want to talk with you about this. Now here in this passage, Jesus gives a little picture of the afterlife. But what do we take as reality and what do we interpret as part of the story? It's stretching the parable to take everything as a representation of reality. So how do we decide what is true and what we should set aside? Well, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. What in this parable is mentioned elsewhere and what isn't? Now, before we look at the details of how Jesus has described the afterlife, remember that all of this is still largely unknown to us. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the idea here isn't to build a comprehensive picture of what the afterlife is going to be like, but rather the idea is to pay attention to what may be coming and adjust how we live accordingly. In the same way you pay attention to the weather and pack or prepare accordingly, so should we be doing in regards to eternity. So let's look at the, these details and see what we need to pay attention to. First, we see that there are two places, that the rich man and the poor man go to separate places. Now, the Bible speaks often of hell. It's called Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades and Gehenna in the New Testament, as well as just simply hell. So no, not everyone is going to heaven. At the end of Jesus' description of the final judgment, uh, where he separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So scripture over and over talks about the idea that there are two separate places. So this is a part of this parable that we can say, yes, it will probably be like this. In fact, I would say that it will definitely be like this, that there are two places. The second thing we see in this parable is that the rich man was in torment and anguish. And again, the idea of eternal suffering is mentioned many times in Scripture. In Mark 9, Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We can expect hell to be a place of torment. The third thing that's mentioned in this parable is that uh, the one in hell saw into heaven. The rich man saw into heaven. And this idea is mentioned once elsewhere. In Luke thirteen twenty eight. it says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. But these are the only two places where this concept of seeing into uh, the other eternity is mentioned. So it's possible, but it's not known for sure. But what we get even more in Scripture is the fact that those in hell are conscious of their punishment. Abraham here tells the rich man to remember. The phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth is used seven times in the New Testament. And so we get this concept that there will be conscious suffering in hell. Another thing that's mentioned in this parable is that there's communication with those in in hell and in heaven. Now this idea isn't mentioned elsewhere in scripture. So it's not something I would count on uh, as actually going to be happening. But something that is mentioned that I would count on is that the locations are unchangeable. In our parable, nobody can cross from one side to the other, which is consistent in Scripture. Again, in Matthew 25, it says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so those locations are eternal and fixed. Now, what are we to take away from all of this? All of this description about the afterlife? Well, first is that hell will be an awful place of eternal punishment, where people will be in conscious, eternal torment and anguish. So we need to take an opportunity now to put Christ on the throne, to shift our priorities. But how? How does this happen? Jesus gives an answer to that with the tail end of this parable. And in this answer he points to the main point he's trying to communicate. And that is, pay attention to the scriptures. Let's look at verses 27 to 31. And he said, he being the rich man, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He, being Abraham, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man put no hope in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures weren't enough for his brothers. He was thinking that a miracle would change their hearts. But Abraham points out that he's wrong. Dead wrong. (laughs) You like that? Okay. (laughs) In pointing this out, Jesus points ahead to how people will react to his own resurrection. Again, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now here's how some reacted to Jesus' resurrection. This is out of Matthew 28 starting in verse 11. It says, "While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the priests, the chief priests, all that had taken place, which is the tomb being empty, the stone being rolled away." And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. See, even when Jesus rose from the dead, people refused to believe who he was. And in our parable... In our passage today, Jesus is pointing ahead to that fact. What Jesus is trying to communicate here is that he is pointing to the power, the importance, and the sufficiency of Scripture. This is what the whole parable is all about. This is the point. He started talking about this subject even before the parable. Go back to verses 16 and 17. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. See, Jesus uses the phrase, the law and the prophets in that passage. And in the parable, he uses the phrase Moses and the prophets. Both are referring to the same thing. Moses is referring to the writings of Moses, which are the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch or the law. It is referring to the totality of scripture. Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets covers all of scripture at that time. So when we see either of these phrases, we should think, All scripture. Moses and the prophets, all scripture. The law and the prophets, all scripture. Luke uses this phrase a few more times in both Luke and Acts, pointing to Jesus as he uses it. One example is Luke 24, 27, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and and meets these two guys. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. So not only do we see Moses and all the prophets covering all scriptures, it says that all things pointed to himself. All things pointed to Jesus. John also points to the fact that scripture points to Jesus. John 5, 46 and 47 says, if you, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They were given the very words of God and did not see the powerful truth that those words contained. Now, once again, here we see Jesus's love for the Pharisees. We see his desire that they be saved. He's trying to help them see that they have had the answer in front of them all along. We have the answer in front of us. Jesus is wanting all of his listeners to pay attention to the scriptures, which is exactly what we need to do. Now, let's be honest. We look for signs, too, when we have all we need right in front of us. I thought about including some examples here, but I feel like each of us can easily come up With a few of our own. Examples of when we look for signs or look for wonders when the answers are right in Scripture. But more than that, I feel like we're living in a time where we need this message the most. Friends, we are in the middle of the most devastating time for our world that any of us has ever seen. Never in our lives. Has the entire world been turned so upside down? So right now is the time to pay attention to the scriptures. To pay attention to what God is trying to say. As C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's from the book, The Problem of Pain, if you're interested in diving into more of what he has to say. Many of you are feeling the pain of the COVID-19 pandemic, whether it be physical pain, financial pain, emotional pain, relational pain, or spiritual pain. Let me encourage you, In three ways. First, you are not alone. Not only are your brothers and sisters in Christ with you in your pain, but God has not abandoned you. He is with you, He is suffering with you. Second, pay attention to what God might be trying to tell you. Don't squander this time. Listen. How should you listen? Well, remember what we talked about in the beginning. Paying attention takes work. So put effort into it. Also, paying attention costs something. What are you going to set aside so that you can be paying attention to what God is trying to tell you. The third thing I want to encourage you with is that scripture is sufficient. How often do we worry and fret when the answers are staring right at us? If you're not in a Bible reading plan, it's time to start one. I'd suggest reading the prophets. The nation of Israel was in exile Experiencing a world of pain, we may have a lot to learn from those books. And if you're not taking time to study God's word, now would be a good time to start. I posted in Slack a seminary class on biblical theology that you can take for free. You need to sign up by April 14th to take advantage of the free offer. But once you're signed up, you can go at your own pace. And I'd encourage you, use some of this extra time that you have to dive into that. And if you have questions about that, you can also email me. Scripture is sufficient. Listen to these verses from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Maybe you've needed your soul to be revived. Scripture. Dive into Scripture. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What should we be doing during this time? Let's look to Scripture for some answers. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You need something to rejoice about? Dive into Scripture. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And so we need to be paying attention to Scripture in keeping them. There is great reward. Scripture is sufficient. Today is Palm Sunday. Not me, but Palm Sunday. This was the day that Jesus triumphantly came into Jerusalem, being celebrated by many people. Now, if you're still in Luke, flip just a couple pages over to Luke 19. Luke 19. And I'm starting in verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now look at Jesus' response to their praise. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because, catch this, you did not know the time of your visitation. The people did not know the time of their visitation. Here they had the Messiah, Christ, right in front of them. And they didn't recognize who he was. They weren't paying attention. So I ask you, do we know the time of our visitation? Are we paying attention to God's word? Are we listening to what he's saying to us? Don't miss Jesus's words for you before it's too late. Let me pray. Lord, help us pay attention. Help us listen to what you're saying to us. You've given us your word. You've given us the scripture. How dare we ignore it? How dare we set it off to the side? How dare we look for signs and wonders and not go back to what you've lovingly given to us? God, help us hear from you just by diving into your word. Thank you so much for giving it to us. Don't let us miss what you're trying to say to us during this time, simply because we're not paying attention. Help us, Lord, to pay attention to you, to pay attention to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.